On the front page of the New York Times, ladies and gentlemen, April 27, 1952, ran an article, page one, Sheen in Rome says red agents tried to infiltrate the priesthood. There was no institution on the planet that had so opposed communism like the Catholic Church, describing it as literally satanic. As Pius XI said in Divinity Redemptoris 1937, that communism was a satanic scourge orchestrated by the sons of darkness. The church taught that it was literally out of the pit of hell. And Bella came to believe that and tried to pull away. The church is in a total uproar. And one of the things that might help to explain that is infiltration, infiltration of the church by communists who were actually sent in to be priests as communists sent in to be priests to infiltrate the church on purpose. Sound incredible? Well, it's not, because you know what? It was testified to by an ex-communist. Her name was Bella Dodd. She was known to Bishop Fulton J. Sheen and lots of other witnesses. We're going to talk to now the author of a new book on Bella Dodd and what this all means for the church today. You're going to want to stay tuned for this one. Hey everyone, I have a time-sensitive announcement to share with you. Earlier this month, LifeSite was hit with another online censorship attack, this time on TikTok, after publishing the truth about the corrupt administration in the United States. In fact, LifeSite is still permanently banned on Facebook, and our main YouTube channel was wiped out, which is why we are only on the John Henry Weston Show YouTube channel. So this is because the prince of this world hates the truth, and we at LifeSite are committed to bringing you the fullness of the truth even if the globalists and atheists don't want you to hear it. To help us push forward with our truth-telling mission, I urge you to join us during this special Advent and Christmas season with your prayers and almsgiving. Help us at LifeSite build a culture of life for you, your children, your grandchildren, in the face of massive opposition. By uniting your prayers and your giving with us at LifeSite, you promote our pro-life and pro-family mission of building a culture of life around the world. In fact, when you support LifeSite, I urge you to write a prayer in our comment box. It's a perfect way to infuse your prayer and almsgiving with a charity like LifeSite that you can trust, knowing that we will personally read and pray over all your intentions. We need your prayers and almsgiving now more than ever. We at LifeSite must reach our end-of-the-year fundraising goal, and we have no corporate sponsor, which makes LifeSite's grassroots support from people like you miraculous. So please, as you listen to today's interview, click in the donation link at the top in the description of this video and offer your almsgiving and prayer to LifeSite News. This is the moment we need all of our viewers, even first-time viewers. Join the mission for life, faith, family, and freedom with LifeSite. Join us now with a financial gift of any amount by clicking the first link in the description below and be a force for good in the world. Also, don't forget to pray with your financial gift. Every little bit helps. So thank you, and may God bless you. Paul Kengor, welcome to the program. 
It is so good to be with you. I, I'm a fan. I've followed you in LifeSite News for years, and this is actually the first time we've ever met, strangely enough. But, uh, but, but thank you so much, John Henry. Good to meet you, Paul. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. This is incredibly interesting, and I know there's been a lot of folklore around it. Is it really true? Is it a myth? You've got the details and the evidence, which is just incredible. But tell us first a little bit about yourself, just so people know where you're coming from. I was born and raised in uh, Western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I had kind of a major career switch when I left medicine. I actually worked for the organ transplant team at the University of Pittsburgh in the late 1980s. And, uh, and went into, it was the end of the Cold War. And so I became fascinated by that, the causes of it, Ronald Reagan, John Paul II, Mikhail Gorbachev, that whole cast of characters, communism. And then eventually in the 1990s, I, I decided to go to graduate school and that became my focus. I should add here too, from a faith perspective, I was not a Christian. I became a Christian really early to mid-1990s through, um, through evangelicals. So even though I was baptized Catholic and I consider myself, myself a convert to the Catholic faith, I guess I'm really technically a revert, but I came into the Catholic Church, I converted to the Catholic Church in April 2005, right when Pope John Paul II died. And he was um, he was a major player, major factor in my conversion. I've written probably about 20 books and on subjects like communism, Karl Marx. I did a book called a, a Pope and a President, Ronald Reagan, John Paul II. So this has really been my my career subject and following. And when I heard about Bella Dodd's claims quite a few years ago, I was absolutely fascinated and to kind of jump right in how the dovetails into this book, John Henry. I, I, what really frustrated me is I would read things on the internet on the internet about what Bella Dodd allegedly said. And you can find memes and all kinds of things and even audio where she seems to be talking and maybe she is talking and she's speaking to the Senate or at some place wherever in the 1950s and 1960s. And then then the, the voiceover just freezes. And on the screen comes this language about what she allegedly said. And it would like source it to her memoirs. Uh, no, 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 no. That's not in her memoirs. She did not talk about it in her memoirs. Or it would make up some Senate testimony. And I'd say, no, 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 it's not in her Senate, Senate testimony. It became a, really an intense project of one, even documenting that she, in fact, said what she said, um, beyond the whole question of whether or not she she did what she said, all of which I know we're going to get into. So that's a little bit of background on me. Amazing. Just so that people know, the name of the book is The Devil and Bella Dodd, One Woman's Struggle Against Communism and Her Redemption. It's available through Tan Books, and its co-author is Mary Nichols. So, Dr. Paul Kengor, first of all, let's get into what exactly she said. What was her message regarding infiltration of the church? So she said that she helped place, quote, over a thousand communist men, unquote, in Catholic seminaries. And the number, sometimes you hear 1,100, sometimes you hear 1,200, but it's around a thousand altogether. And she, one of the first episodes where we know that she said that, she was talking to Alice von Hildebrand and Dietrich von Hildebrand. Now, these are two very, very credible sources. 
In fact, um, Alice died just last year. I think it was January 2022. Uh, she was maybe 98 years old, I believe. She was she was up there. Dietrich died uh, many years ago. It's been quite a while. But we interviewed Alice for the book. My co-author did, Mary Nicholas. And Alice is on record saying this in her memoirs, in A Peace for Crisis magazine, in several other different written, a, a number of different times she wrote it down. She, she's on YouTube saying it in an interview with Michael Voris of Church Militant. Let's take a break right now and take a look at that testimony. Bellador gave a talk in Orange, California, in which he declared publicly I repeat publicly that in the course of the 20 years of activities for the, for the communists, she recruited some 1,100 young men, neither faith nor moral, that entered seminaries. And they were so superbly trained that it was not that easy to detect them because in many ways they seemed to be Orthodox, but then it's a big poison here and a big poison there. And as I said, spread doubt. It was Alice and Dietrich who met with Bella Dodd in the 1960s, and she's she's given the date. She, she is John Henry, she is so consistent in this. I mean, she is, you can tell she's a scholar, she's a thinker, she's an intellectual. Her words in describing what Bella says every time are almost verbatim. I, I mean, there is just a complete consistency. And and Dietrich had said uh, had said to, to Bella Dodd, you know, I just have this feeling that the church has been infiltrated. And Bella Dodd said in her kind of New York Italian accent, you feel it. I know it. And, and he, he said, you know it. Tell me, what do you mean? And then she explained what she did. Now, she she said this usually only privately. We found an occasion where she said it in a speech in Orange County, California in the 1960s. And apparently that speech was attended by about 600, 800 people. Two witnesses to that speech were, were Janine Leininger and her husband. And in fact, um, my friend Kevin Simmons actually knew the Leiningers and got a hold of them and took them and got them to sign a sworn affidavit saying that they heard Bella say this publicly. Um, Janine uh, just died, I think it was last June, when we were just in the process of, finish, of finishing this book. So that was one occasion where she said publicly that, that she did it. She also, another witness that, that heard her say it is a woman named Sherry Finn, who is about 82 years old. She lives in Redondo Beach, California. She heard Bella say it at a dinner party of, it was Sherry and her husband and another couple in Plano, Texas, near Plano, Texas, where Bella had gone to teach in the 1960s. And we interviewed Sherry for the book and Sherry's still alive. And Sherry said, yeah, I will never forget this. She, Sherry, Sherry even said, I've heard the numbers, 1,000, 1,100, 1,200. She said, that's what Bella said to us as well. So these were private occasions. And the reason why she didn't say it publicly, except maybe on that one occasion, apparently the one occasion where she let her guard down and said something in Orange County, California, was that according to Alice von Hildebrand, Fulton Sheen forbade Bella Dodd to talk about it publicly. 
He thought that this would cause scandal in the church. And she even said to him, she said, Bishop Sheen, I feel like I should go into the most severe penitential order on the planet. We know this too from Alice von Hildebrand, to make reparation for my sins and what I did. And Fulton Sheen, John Henry said to her, actually said kind of the same thing that Pope Pius XI said to Fulton Sheen. He said, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you instead to go out and warn the world about the evils of communism. I want you to go out there and tell everybody about what has happened and the dangers that are out there. But he didn't want her to name names. And honestly, we go through this very, very carefully in the book. It's the longest chapter in the book. I don't know if by the 1950s or 1960s, she could have named names. She would have been doing this in the middle 1930s. The party was notorious for destroying all of their records. Bella, who was an attorney for the party, destroyed records. She admitted later that she did this in the Rap Coderre hearings in New York. She, she, she set the stuff on fire. She shredded it. And she knew that it was illegal. To this day, I say this as a lifelong communist researcher, you cannot find a document anywhere that lists all Communist Party USA members. All right, they, they, they got rid of that stuff. They didn't keep that stuff. So she could have helped recruit or been a middleman, middle lady in the whole endeavor um, without being able to remember or name names by the 1960s. And let me back up a little more. Why would the party have gone to her for this? Because she was a master organizer for the party. She organized the Teachers Front. She organized the New York State Teachers Union. Out of 10,000 members, Bella testified to this in her Congress, the FBI had these numbers, the Senate had these numbers, out of 10,000 members of the New York State Teachers Union in the 1930s, she helped plant 1,000 to 1,500 Communist Party members. So for her to think, if the party would have went to her and said, um, okay, uh, you put 1,000 to 1,500 um, communist teachers and out of 10,000 in the teachers union, you think you could do this with the priesthood? Well, we give data on this in the book. By the 1960s, by Vatican II, there were 60,000 priests in the United States. So she would have said, yeah, yeah, 1,000 teachers out of 10,000 in the teachers union? You don't think I could put 1,000 men out of 60,000 in seminaries? That's a cinch. This is what she did. She was a master organizer. So, so she would have um, she would have saluted the red flag. She she had in the 1936 May Day parade in New York City. She had 500 communist teachers marching. <laughs> I mean, this, this is what they did. They were organizers. They were infiltrators. So um, this would have been something that she felt confident that she could have at least attempted to do. Do we have any details? I mean, because it seems sometimes uh, far-fetched that someone would sort of give up his life and embrace, do they embrace celibacy? Well, it just would go into a priesthood and live their lives for this cause. But how did that work out? We quote in the book, Blessed Solanus Casey. In fact, it is, um, it's the main biography of Solanus Casey and his biographer almost men mentions this in passing. In fact, he kind of takes a snide shot at Solanus Casey for being uh, kind of giving in here to the whole red scare mentality of the day, right? But Solanus Casey said, oh yeah, we, we knew about the, the red infiltrators. He said they, they were easy to spot because they were very disciplined and very smart, but not very devout. And so you know, he he even talked about seeing these people, encountering these people. Now, I, and I would add this too. This is, I think, quite significant. 
the party did this up and down with the Protestant denominations, the mainline denominations. I mean, this was testified before Congress by Manning Johnson, Ben Gitlow, Louis Boudens, William Z. Foster, Earl Browder, right? Former communists, current communists, they, you know, they, they did this all the time. In fact, Earl Browder told an audience at Union Theological Seminary in New York in February 1935, he said, you might be surprised to know that we have party members, party members, preachers active in the churches who are actual party members, party members. Now, you're supposed to be an atheist to be a party member. So how could you have a party member who's an atheist being an active preacher in churches? Well, they're infiltrators. But that was easier to do in Protestant churches than in Catholic churches, where the seminary process for priests was so much more exhaustive, right? So so much longer, where the rector had to recommend you, right? You had to go through a long, 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 long process to make it through. So I would bet that if Bella tried to help place a thousand communists in seminaries, that they probably didn't put very many through. But those that did stay in, maybe they stayed in and became lukewarm Catholics or not really true Catholics, but they were left of center theologically. But Manning Johnson said that it was a truism in Communist Party organizing that if you could place just 60 to 70 people in an organization out of 10,000, just 1% or even less than 1%, you could control the organization. So the goal might be a thousand, but if you could get in less than a hundred, a well we a well-placed one hundred, that's significant. My friend Herb Romerstein used to call these agents of influence that could be um, even more influential than somebody who was an outright you know spy working for the Kremlin, like Whitaker Chambers, for example. But like Belladonna was kind of like a female Whitaker Chambers. Belladonna then converts. Take us through that, if you will. She really went through the ringer. She started getting involved with the party in the 1930s, 1932. In 1943, she consented to being an open, card-carrying communist. Now, that was a big deal because most of them were underground. But she was so high up in the National Committee and doing so much, probably the highest-ranking woman in the party at that point, that at that point, she might as well go public with it. So she became a card-carrying member of the Communist Party in 1943, um, same year that Barack Obama's mentor, Frank Marshall Davis, joined the Communist Party. In fact, we have Davis's card number. It was 47544. Bella Dodd was, like Davis, a member of the FBI. She was on the FBI's security index. FBI was watching her all the time. That meant that if a war broke out between the United States and the Soviet Union, she could be placed under immediate arrest. Because when, when you join the party, uh, you know, and we quote the loyalty oath in the 1935 loyalty oath in the book, they raised their hand and they said, um, I swear at all times to remain a firm defender of the Leninist line of the party, the only, the only line that ensures the triumph of Soviet power in the United States. So they were what, what Herb Romerstein called loyal Soviet patriots. Their country was the Soviet Union. Like Langston Hughes said, we will turn it into the USSA when we take over. So, so she was hardcore. She was a Stalinist. She wasn't a small C communist who said, oh, I like them ideologically, but I don't want to join the party because I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to follow Moscow. No, she followed Moscow. And from 1943 to 48, 
so this is a long story, but she she became disillusioned. She had different problems with the party. Um, among other things, the party didn't want her to have a family, didn't want her to have children. And I mean, you'll appreciate this at LifeSite News. They were hell bent on abortion. I mean, the Bolsheviks had been pushing abortion since uh, Lenin wrote a piece in January 1913 for Pravda, calling for the unconditional annulment of all laws prohibiting abortion. And then they fully legalized it in Russia, Bolshevik Russia in 1920. And it was just a worldwide thing for the party, right? I mean, you aborted your children, period. The Communist Manifesto says, abolition of the family, exclamation mark. Even the most radical flare up at this infamous proposal of the communists. So she wanted to have children. The party told, told her no. Bunch of other different reasons, other things that happened. And she came to kind of just frankly realize how evil the party was. She came to agree with her church. Um, as Pius XI said in Divini Redemptoris 1937, that communism was a satanic scourge orchestrated by the sons of darkness. The church taught that it was literally out of the pit of hell. And Bella came to believe that and tried to pull away, tried to pull away, tried to pull away. Finally, in June 1948, they expelled her. And the press release that they put forth that the AP and everybody else reported, and John Henry, you'll, you'll appreciate this. You've been smeared. You've been you've had character assassination like I have. The AP reporter calls her up and says, Dr. Dodd, we have a statement from the Communist Party. It says here that you are anti-Negro, anti-Puerto Rican, anti-Semitic, pro-Nazi, pro-fascist. Do you have any comment? <laughs> right? Right? And 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 she said, no. I have no comment. And she realized, she said, look, this is the same thing that I did when I was in the party. This is what I did to Congressman Hamilton Fish. This is what I did to Rap. This is what I did to Coderre. This is what I did to everybody else. I'm just getting a taste of my own medicine. And, and now, now it was her turn. So that began for her a period of 1948 to 51, 52, where she's kind of on her knees and wondering, uh, where do I go from here? And that's when, when she started coming back to the faith of her youth. Just a quick note before we return. If you would like to stay up to date on LifeSite's coverage of the latest life, family, and culture news, subscribe to one of our many newsletters by going to lifesitenews.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to help us bring our truth-telling coverage to millions around the world, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation at give.lifesitenews.com. And now, back to the video. She had an interaction with Fulton J. Sheen. Is he the one actually that led her back to the faith or? He was. It was it was him more than anybody else. So 1951, she goes to Washington. She meets with her congressman, Congressman McGrath from from the Brooklyn area. And she's she's just completely wiped out. She's trying to find a way to make some money. And Congressman McGrath says to her, he says, Bella, isn't there anything I could do for you? And she says, no, I've got not just the KGB following me, I have the FBI following me, right? I don't know what I'm going to do. I fear for my life. You know, she knew as Whitaker Chambers did, her friend Juliet Points had been killed by the communists when she defected, when she left the party. She said, yeah, I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know what to do. And McGrath said to her, would you like to see a priest? 
And she said, just kind of out from the pit of her gut, she said, yes, yes, I'd like to see a priest. So Congressman McGrath turns to his secretary, Rose, and says, Rose, why don't you see if you can get a hold of Monsignor Sheen from Catholic University? So they called him up, got a hold of him, and he said, uh, tell Dr. Dodd to come to my apartment tonight in Chevy Chase, Maryland. So Dodd goes there, knocks on the door, opens the door. She said he stood there just like on TV. He's got the big, giant <laughs> pectoral cross. And instead of saying to me, you know, in the language of how she would have been treated by the Bolsheviks, by her comrades, she said, instead of saying to me, you old Bolshevik bag, you hag, how dare you, you know, get out of here. She said, Dr. Dodd, I'm so happy that you came. I'm so glad that you came. Come on inside. And they went inside and he put his arm around her on her shoulder and she just started to weep. She just fell apart. She just started crying. And he said, there, there, it's okay. It's okay. Let it all out. And she said, she does, didn't even know how it happened, but minutes later, she's in his private chapel with him in front of a statue of the Blessed Mother. And they're just praying and talking. And he handed her a rosary. And he said, look, I'm going to be going back to New York in the spring. Why don't you come visit me at the offices for the propagation of the faith? And I could give you instruction to come back into the Catholic Church. And she said, I'll do that. I'll do that. So that was the spring of 1952. He gave her instruction. And she was baptized at St. Patrick's Cathedral on, um, uh, heard her confession, baptized on April 7th, 1952. There's something puzzling about this. Maybe we should go first to this. She knew some of the infiltrators and even worked with them as communist sort of spies, if you will. She even knew four in the Vatican. Is that not right? That's what she claims. And I should follow up with this. So this is quite fascinating. Sheen, Sheen heard her confession on April 7th, 1952. On the front page of the New York Times, ladies and gentlemen, all right? The front page of the New York Times, April 27th, 1952. So this is all, three weeks after he hears the confession of Belladon. Fulton Sheen gets on a plane or a boat, I don't know how, to cross the Atlantic to go to Rome, okay? And the, and the New York Times that day ran an article, all right? Page one, it says, quote, this is the headline, Sheen in Rome says red agents tried to infiltrate the priesthood. American communists were under secret orders in 1936 to infiltrate the Roman Catholic priesthood. Bishop Fulton Sheen said today. By the way, so for anybody listening to us who thinks they still don't believe Bella Dodd, do you believe Fulton Sheen? Okay. The 57-year-old Auxiliary Bishop of New York, speaking before an overflowing congregation in the American Catholic Church of Santa Susana, said, quote, in 1936, the communist wolves went into the forces which control public opinion. There was hardly a prominent newspaper commentator who did not have a communist secretary, although he or she did not necessarily know it. And here you go. This was the beginning of the planning of forces of evil communism within the religious communities to destroy them from within. A call for volunteers to enter religious orders and make the great sacrifices of the life of a seminarian was made at a secret red meeting in a large American city, unquote. 
Now that's April 27th. That's three weeks after he heard Bella Dodd's confession. John Henry, where is he getting that but from Bella Dodd? 1936, a call goes out, red meeting, large American city. I mean, clearly, that's that's where he got that. That's where that came from. Now, uh, does that mean he got it from her in the confessional? He probably got it from her during the months of instruction prior to that, frankly. And it was the only time that I could ever find where Sheen publicly said that. After that, Sheen must have kind of come to his senses and thought, you know, this is going to cause major scandal in the church. And just like I told Bella Dodd, I need to be careful. I know this is sensational. I know this is a big deal. I got to zip it up and I can't talk about it. Let's just fight it. Let's just find a way to go fight it. But that is a public acknowledgement from Fulton Sheen speaking in a church in Rome reported on the front page of the New York Times, uh, April 27, 1952, completely consistent with what Bella Dodd said and the year in which she would have done it, 1936. <clears throat> the only question is, again, to what extent did it succeed? And did those people that went in become priests and infiltrators and go out and sow discord and cause the problems that they did? I mean, there's all sorts of things around communism. We had the P2 list that named some of the people as well in the Vatican. You've had, there was a book, AA 1024, that caused all sorts of controversy. Do you address that in your book and, and the source and of it? Yeah, I do. And that's one of those books that frustrates me because I feel like the documentation isn't good and it's too speculative, right? Um, so you hear about this person whose car wrecked and then they've somebody at the hospital found this in the back and... And I mean, I, I love that stuff, right? But but as a historian, I I need I need to pin that down more. And what's what's um, great about the Bella Dodd stuff, and what we've tried to do in this book is we pinned it down, or at least to the best that we can. Now I, I will say here on the air, and I say it in the book, and I walk through it in the book. It is frustrating to not have know any of these priests who did that, right? Uh, to not have the name of anybody who's ever come forward and said, I was one of the guys who infiltrated. But then again, they would probably be ashamed of what they did. Or if they were genuine infiltrators who continue the infiltration and the sabotaging from within, they're not going to go out and talk about that, right? They're not going to come out and, and publicly admit that. So the fact that we don't know who those people were, it's frustrating. I wish I knew but but we do know we've documented that the intention was there. And let me say, too, while, I, while I'm on this show, if there's anybody out there watching us right now, like Sherry Finn, who's still alive in Redondo Beach, who heard this directly from Bella Dodd, or like the Leiningers, who heard her say it publicly, and the only time that I know that she said it publicly, please reach out to me. Please reach out to us, because Bella Dodd died in 1969. And I bet there are still people alive um, who heard her say this. And, um, you know, I think it'll be a tall order to get anybody to contact us who was an infiltrator. <laughs> right. But but at least if there's witnesses to her saying it, I'd like to continue to document that. On the question of the infiltrators themselves coming forward, I think at some point people realize what they're doing and then they feel ashamed. Yes, but it's a lot better to come forward and confess publicly where you can help the church right now than to go and face your maker with that on your soul. 
it does a lot for you to come forward. So please, God, some do come forward. And if they if they do come forward from seeing in this show, you better call me so that we can do that together. But uh, that would just be great because it'd be for their own benefit as well, as well as for the church right now. And others might have gone forward and did. I mean, look at ideas like liberation theology, right? I mean, that you know, that's a Marxist-based influence idea within the church. So you could see infiltrators going and leading something like that. We talk about the refusal of the Vatican and, and Vatican II to issue what was really needed, a very strong public statement condemning communism. In fact, one of your writers at LifeSide News a few years ago published um, the unpublished schemas from Vatican II condemning communism, which were relegated to a footnote, a footnote. Just so that everybody understands. So before the councils, it was they had pre- documents prepared. The best researchers in the church would go through and prepare documents on the issues of the day that are most contentious or problematic or whatever, because the councils were meant to sort things out and make them very clear. So they had this on life, on family, on all sorts of things, including on communism, which, as you said earlier in the program, had been vehemently condemned by the church. But they actually threw out all the schemas. There was even more than that with regard to communism in the Second Vatican Council. Please explain if you would. It's even worse than that because, I mean, the church had been so beautifully consistent. This is, um, a lot of Catholics don't know this today, this history, but so the Communist Manifesto was published in 1848. In 1846, two years before the manifesto was published, Pope Pius IX, in one of his first encyclicals, so he was Pope from 1846 to 1878, a 32-year-long pontificate, published Qui Pluribus, which, which, which condemned communism and predicted how awful it would be, how damaging and how destructive it would be. So Pius IX issued these statements. Leo XIII issued a bunch of statements. Pius X did, Pius XI did, uh, Divinity Redemptorist, right, describing communism as a satanic scourge in 1937. Um, the Pius XII statements, Pius XII in 1949 issued the papal decree against communism, which, which would excommunicate people who supported communists or voted for communists or who published pro-communist stuff in publications. So, so the church was so totally, totally again, by the way, which is why what people think today, um, well, why would Fulton Sheen have told her not to talk about it? Was it really that scandalous? Oh, yeah. There was no institution on the planet that had so opposed communism like the Catholic Church, describing it as literally satanic. So to find out publicly that over a thousand communists may have been implanted in Catholic seminaries, whoa! I mean, that would have been that would have been a major eruption in the church. So leading up to Vatican II, with all of that history. Gosh, you're going to expect Vatican II to have a really intense condemnation of communism, especially at the height of the Cold War. But apparently, I think through through probably John the 23rd and some other cardinals and other individuals around him, right, they were able to maneuver and manipulate this in a way that that stopped many frustrated cardinals in the church from issuing a clear condemnation of communism. And could that have been caused by infiltrators in the church who at that point had made their way that high up into the hierarchy? It's possible. It's entire that's speculation, but that's possible. What do you think are the biggest takeaways for us today? 
A lot of people in the church today uh, do not understand this history. They don't understand just how dangerous communism was. Uh, I mean, the Jesuits, America Magazine, which is the leading Jesuit publication in America, in July 2019, published an article called The Catholic Case for Communism. The Catholic Case for Communism, written by a member of the Canadian Communist Party. And, and it included it included an accompanying article by the editor of America Magazine uh, you know, explaining why we published an article called The Catholic Case for Communism. I mean, what are they going to publish next? The Catholic Case for Atheism, right? The Catholic Case for, for Satanism? The Catholic Case for – there is no Catholic Case for Communism. That would have gotten America Magazine excommunicated under the papal decree of 1949. But, but, but people today don't know any of this stuff. They don't get it. They haven't been educated, and a lot of it is because of how – poor and terrible and how much of a failure our Catholic institutions have become, especially as some of our Catholic schools, our Catholic colleges and universities. So they don't know any of this. And Bella Dodd, she said that above all, the, the, the worst forms of infiltration that she was part of, not just not just the, the churches and, and, and seminaries, but education, education, education. And she realized that that was the place, that was the, the one medium, the one institution where the communists wanted to take control and foment their destructive ideas. And I think that's where today um, we're, we're, we're seeing the fruits of, uh, of this, uh, the, you know, the poison fruit of, uh, of, of this rotten tree. Today, the church is most confusing because as bad as that America Magazine article was in, back in 2019, you today have an official agreement, unseen by anybody, but an official agreement signed by Pope Francis with the Communist Chinese Party to allow the Communist Party to select bishops in China, basically exposing the underground church because they were encouraged by Pope Francis to come out. God willing, many of them didn't. But anyway, um, you have that going on. And at the same time, and this is to me one of the worst things in the world, Cardinal Joseph Zen comes begging the Holy Father to see him out of his grave concern about Catholics in China being persecuted. The Pope refuses to see him while he sees people like James Martin, all sorts of homosexual groups trying to infiltrate the church. What, what, what do you make of that? It's utterly scandalous. And in fact, that America Magazine piece, if you if you look it up right now, uh, the, the photo with the article is Bolivian uh, uh, dictator Evo Morales handing a communist crucifix to a grinning Pope Francis. And I collect this stuff, these quotes from Pope Francis. The only thing I've ever found from Pope Francis on Marxism, he said in a 2013 interview, he said, quote, the Marxist ideology is wrong, um, but I have many good friends who are Marxists, <laughs> right? So that is the only thing that he's ever said on it one time. I mean, you need somebody out taking the lead on this stuff and repeatedly condemning it. But that's it. That's the total extent of what he said about it. And when you look at, at his actions in China and his close bishop, Sarando, said, um, I wish I could get the quote right off the top of my head, um, something to the effect of no one represents the social of the gospel, the social gospel of the church better than the Chinese or something like that. You can get that exact quote. You hear that and you think, did he actually say that? That is 
I think that's the worst thing maybe I've ever heard from a bit. That is one of the craziest, inexplicable, fatuous, nonsensical things I've ever heard in my life on anything. And, and then shortly after that, we see all that's happened with the Pope in China. And by the way, he's been very bad, too, on Nicaragua and Daniel Ortega and, you know, the Marxist persecution of the church there as well. So this, this Pope, who I like to say, I can't call him a Marxist or even pro-communist, but he's soft on communism. He's not good on communism. He's, he's, he's bad on communism. It doesn't make him a Marxist, but it makes him bad on the subject and really kind of oblivious to it. And, and it's, it's, ca- it's really caused significant damage. This has all been a grave disappointment. I, def- I actually defend Pope Francis a lot, all the time. He's been great on life issues, and he's been good on traditional marriage, but on so many other things, including this, it's just really disappointing. Any final thoughts for us, Paul? In the case of Bella Dodd, a takeaway lesson from this for people, uh, be not afraid to quote uh, Pope John Paul II's famous admonition from the scriptures. This was a woman who was a courageous witness. She fought against what she described as the devil of communism. She took, um, took a lot of heat for it. John Paul II took a bullet from communists on the feast day of Our Lady of Fatima. May 13th, 1981, two bullets. Um, Bella Dodd could have taken a bullet as well. And at the very least, her character, she faced character assassination from the communists. But here was a brave, courageous woman who fought the good fight, didn't care what people said about her, didn't care about the cancel culture of her day. And I think that's a lesson for um, guys like me and you, John Henry. LifeSite News, you guys are fearless. And other Catholics out there, just uh, be not afraid, stand for the truth, fight evil. Dr. Paul Kangar, thank you so much for being with us. It's great to be with you. Thank you. God bless you and God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Every single day, there are new developments in the culture war. You need to stay on top of the news from the front lines around the world. And LifeSite's actually our mission to serve you the truth on life, faith, family, and freedom so that you can be an effective soldier for Christ. Subscribe now and never miss an important development in the culture war that you need to know about, all from a faithful Catholic perspective. And check out the links below to get involved with our reporting and our pro-life partners. Thank you and God bless you.